Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Good morning. You guys alive? That's good. We're going to be in Proverbs 3. Before we get there, I want to remind you, we started praying this week. Uh, A couple times at our new building in downtown Edmond, we're ready to get there. Um, Man, yesterday we celebrated a funeral and we're able to say goodbye to Ned Kessler, uh, one of our members and a guy that we love deeply, and it was a good time to rejoice in here. And I wanted to say thank you to everyone who served. You guys rolled out and did an incredible job. And uh, trying circumstances in some ways. We showed up here and the school had scheduled stuff that we checked three different times to see if there's anything scheduled here. And we got here and the parking lot's full. And uh, our, our team really had to roll out and figure out how to make it all work. And we served and loved the family well. So well done, church. Good job. Um, Audra, when we finished, said, yeah, I, I'm ready for a building. I'm ready to, to get into our own space. And, and really the, the heart behind that and our goal for that is just to care even better for people. Um, in our body and for the for the people of our city and to reach others and ultimately everything that drives that's about about people and so we want to get together and pray and just pray that the lord would open the doors of our new space in downtown edmond and uh, we're doing that on uh, a couple times a week and we're going to do that through the summer we're just going to meet uh nothing super high tech we're just going to meet roll out pray and then go home and so uh, if you can only be there for part of it show up for whatever part you can and just come and pray with us but uh, my heart would be that Everyone would be able to stop by at least one of those sometime this summer, and uh, some of those of you that are prayer warriors, and every church has got them, uh, would just make that a routine of coming and locking arms with us and seeking the Lord and asking Him to uh, to help move within our, our city, but also move within our church and our hearts, to open the doors of our space, but also to prepare us to be the people that we need to be when we move into that space. So uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for... Um, just the life of the church. I thank you that we get to be a family together. Father, I thank you for Alexis Sean's little baby that we were able to welcome into our church today. And Father, I thank you for the Kessler family as they, as we were able to walk with them, as they said their earthly goodbyes to Ned. Father, I thank you for the genius of putting people together in a church so we've got a family of faith to walk with us through the ups and downs of life. Father, I pray for us as a people. Would you uh, would you cause us to be the people we're supposed to be, that we might be salt and light, that we, that we might give good works in our city, uh, and because of that, people would glorify you and they would seek you. Father, make us people that are light, people that look like Jesus, that love like Jesus, that lead like Jesus. Father, in the midst of our city, and Father, we pray, and we just ask for your provision. We ask that you would open the doors to our space. We ask that you would uh, provide for all of the needs so that we can move into that space. We pray for the upcoming meetings. Uh, with the city and everything that, uh, that that's coming in the next few months. And, Father, we just ask that you would uh, that you'd grant us access to that building and uh, that might be a new home base for our mission to our city and to our world. Father, we pray this for your glory, through your son Jesus. Amen. Uh, we are going to be in Proverbs 3 today. And um, while you're turning there, let me tell you some of where 
where we're headed today. Uh, Proverbs 3 is addressed to my son, uh, and it takes the form of a letter, a lesson written from a father to a son, and a bunch of you might be tempted to check out right here and go, well, I'm not a son, so I'm out. Like, I'm good. None of this applies to me. I don't have to worry about anything he says. And, uh, or maybe some of you are just kind of old dudes, and you're going, well, I've, I left that, that stage a long time ago. I don't think I need to, to worry about this. But that's really not what Proverbs 30 is saying at all. The entire chapter really is a poem, and it takes the form of kind of a lesson given from a father to a son in order to mentor him and shape him and, and direct his path for life. But he writes this way for a reason. It's not that the lessons in these verses only apply to, or do not apply to all people of all ages. Uh, these, these verses are, are, are helpful and critical for anyone, whether they're 16 or 60. And so they apply to all of us. But what he's saying is, when you're young, that's the best time to start learning these lessons. Don't wait. When you're young is the best time to get on the path of wisdom. And you know what, let me tell you why. Because there's a whole lot of people in this story or in this church who have a testimony that goes something like this. I started out and things were going pretty well. And then I went to college and I began to party a little bit and began to experiment and do different things and, and dabble in some different areas of life. And that seemed to still be okay until I went through a traumatic event or I lost a job or I went through a death of a family member and I followed down into a pit of despair. And that, that thing that used to be kind of an outlet became a necessity for me. And I got stuck in a place and began to go down until, I, until the Lord got a hold of me and I began to work my way back to a new place. Or maybe that story went, well, I was doing pretty well and I was going through life and I, you know, I, I feel like life was pretty joyful and there's a lot of good things and there's a lot of, a lot of happiness in my life. And, uh, and then I got into a relationship that maybe wasn't the most healthy relationship. And once I got out of that one, I, I jumped into another one and then I jumped into another one and now I'm 36. And I've had nothing but a series of bad and broken relationships. And I'm not sure what to do. And so I had a downward turn, and I'm starting to my way back up. And most of us have stories that go something like that. Can you relate? Most of us have some place, some period of time, some, some season of life where we had to learn, sometimes through the hard way, that whenever I try to do life on my own, it doesn't necessarily go the way I want it to and leads me to a different place, and I need a redirection. And this entire chapter is really built around that saying, start young on the path of wisdom. Learn the way of flourishing early in life rather than late. And so let me uh, just tell you why this is important, young people. Um, Because here's the thing, in your teens and in your 20s, you're hardwired to want to gain independence. That's actually good. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to grow up and mature and and step out. And at some point, you begin to want to spread your wings and you begin to want to do your own thing and find your way, figure out how life works. And that's exactly the progression that God made for you to do. At some point, you want to step out from underneath the cover of your family and say, I want to know what my life is about. I want to know who I am. I want to know what it is that I'm supposed to be. And at that point, uh, at some point, you begin to experience freedom to do as you please. Um, at that moment, it's going to be both exhilarating and terrifying. Because to that point, a lot of people have helped you make the decisions that you needed to make. And you, the people have, some, of the, some of your parents made all the decisions for you. And so now when you move into a new place and have to start making them for yourself, 
there can be a little bit of terror with that, but it also can be really exciting. In some ways, it's like stepping out of the flight simulator. Any of you see Top Gun? That, not, that, there's got to be more of you have seen that. Like, come on. Y'all just asleep, aren't you? Like half the world's seen Top Gun by now. Uh, well, one of the main plot lines in that movie actually follows the exact thing that Proverbs 3 is trying to do. And so when you think about that movie, Maverick comes back to Top Gun to teach the young guns how to get ready for a real, a real mission. The, the older, wiser, more experienced guy who's experienced some hardship and some brokenness in life is now stepping back in and he feels the pressure of what it's like to be that young gun who thinks they know it all and thinks they have all the answers. And his job is to prepare them for a real life mission. Not, not a mission in the flight simulator, but, but a flight that's going into a real dogfight battle. And so they go into this dogfight training exercise. And you may remember this if you saw the movie. But one of the, the, the early scenes when they first begin this kind of training exercise where they're going to learn how to dogfight, you've got these two jets that are flying in formation. And they know that Maverick's out there somewhere because he's out there supposedly going to train them. And as they're flying along, they're saying, well, where is he? Does anyone see him? And all of a sudden, this jet comes flying vertical, straight up, and breaks between the two jets that are in formation and just, I mean, at, in a terrifying rate. And of course, those two, those two planes immediately freak out and move out this way. They begin to panic. And uh, they go, well, what was that? Why was it he was doing something that was sort of dangerous? He was trying to get their attention. He wanted to let them know that the safety net's gone. There are real consequences to this. Uh, that when we go into this battle, this is not a dogfight game that we're playing. This isn't a video game. But someone very likely could die in this mission that we're going about. And so he knows the importance of the mission. He knows the dangers that are at play. And he knows the foolishness of young guys who think they're invincible. Can I tell you that that's what Proverbs 3 is all about? It's coming to young people who think you're invincible. And it's an older, wiser guy who's saying, uh, there, there's danger out there that's not going to lead you where you, where you want to go in life. But the mission and the life is, is worth fighting for. And so I want to get your attention, and I want to show you the right way to live. Now, while you're young. Uh, can I just tell you, for some of you old folks, I, I'm talking to myself here. Uh, some of you don't think you're old folks, but you're older than you realize. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, but it, for some of us, we don't really outgrow these lessons. The, the point of Proverbs 3 is start young, but learn to walk in the way of the Lord all your days. And we all need this message. So let's read in Proverbs 3, starting verse 1. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then all your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father the son in whom he delights. Hey friends, wisdom is a path that we learn to walk in order to navigate 
real life and find real flourishing. And this is what Proverbs 3 is telling us, is telling us about. And as we think about kind of the message of what it's saying, wisdom is, trying, is learning to navigate real life in all of its complexity. And uh, any of you realize as you got a little bit older that maybe life was a little bit harder than you thought it was going to be? The decisions weren't quite as obvious as you thought they were going to be. I mean, some of them aren't that big a deal. You know, Nan and I picked our first apartment when we got married. Actually, I think it was our first. It was like our second. We had a choice between two, and we couldn't decide, so we flipped a coin. Uh, and so we you just said, ah, let's just flip a coin and decide which one of these we're going to live in, and then we and we actually went with it. And so that was all the wisdom we had at that point. So no, but it really there weren't a lot of consequences to that decision. There weren't a lot of problems. Uh, but when you think about the complexities of life, many of them don't have obvious moral answers, do they? Like, who are you supposed to marry? What career path should you take? How do you help your friend who's stuck in addiction? What's the best way to, for you to serve that poor family that you have a relationship with? See, none of these questions can, you look at the Bible and go, oh, I know exactly what to do. It says Betty or, you know, June. Or, like, it doesn't, you can't just flip through and go, now you can try that. And some people do that where you're like, you're looking for God's wisdom and so you do one of these, you're like, close your eyes and pray and kind of just flip through and kind of, you know, and hope that you come up with something good. But that's, that's not a very good approach. I don't, I don't recommend it. Um, you know, there's, a, there's an old joke that um, the guy did that and kind of old pastor story they used to tell of a guy that did that and came to it and came to the verse and said, um, you know, Judas went and hanged himself. You know, the guy looked and said, well, you're going give to give God another chance. And he goes and says, you know, flips through and looks to find another place and pokes there and says, whatever you've seen, go and do likewise. And he's like, I can't be it either. And then it comes to another place and says, whatever you do, do quickly. And he's like, oh, I think I'm going to try a different plan, right? Like there's, there, there's good plans for finding God's wisdom and, and direction, and there's bad plans, and that's not necessarily the right plan. But here's the thing. None of the, those questions in life, uh, like there, there are really clear-cut boundaries. You can look at the Ten Commandments. Don't murder. Like you guys know you're not supposed to do that, right? But Really? Like you guys know you're not supposed to do that, right? Right, okay. Do not commit adultery. Like, you know you're not supposed to do that, right? That's pretty clear. It's like, here's right, here's wrong. You know, there's a line in the middle. Don't cross that line. Stay on this side. And those things are really obvious. But 80%, 90% of the issues that we face in life aren't just this or this. They're a lot more complex. Um, parents, can I get an amen? What's the best way to take care of your kid? I remember my dad told me, he was like, you know, we started with you and we thought, well, this sort of been working. And then your brother came and he was totally different. And like everything we tried with you didn't work with your brother. And we had to like try something different. And I find that with my kids too. You know, even when you have twins, it's fascinating because like they literally have done everything together. They've had every meal, they've done all these things, and they're little, and they're completely different individuals. And, you know, you approach one one way and the other way. And, you know, like I've got one kid that you have to talk to pretty straightforward and this, talk to another one, and he's like, he's going to get his feelings hurt if you talk to him that way. But the other one won't respect you if you don't talk to him this way. He's like, like there's just some wisdom that you need to navigate these things, right? It's life. It's as you start to do it, to, to enter into adulthood, and you move out of your teenage years and begin to move into your adult years, you begin to experience more freedom but you also begin to experience more responsibility. And those questions feel more complex than they used to. And Proverbs is about how do we define, how do we find the wisdom to navigate life in all of its complexity? 
um, even when there's not a clear, just moral, yes, no, right, wrong path, but when it takes some wisdom to know what to do. Because here's the reality. Take the example I gave earlier of trying to care for a poor family. You, you may have a, a, a gospel motivation, a good God-given motivation that says, Jesus says we should care for the, for, for the poor. I want to do this. And you may have the, all the right intentions in the world, but your approach to trying to help them may actually create more problems for them if you approach it the wrong way. It's going to require wisdom to know how to navigate some of those things. And this is what Proverbs 3 is dealing with. So you guys realize, and I'm going to lose half of you when I say this, but Proverbs is poetry. And some of you are like, oh, that's fun, and like, like three of you. And the rest of you are like, oh, dude, I'm out. I don't know anything about poetry, don't want to know anything about poetry. I'm going to check out on this sermon. But uh, it is a poem, and Hebrew poetry uses parallelism the way English poetry often uses rhyme. And so there's parallel things. And what you see in this passage is that every, ver- every two verses form a couplet. And so the odd verses actually give you a, a wise counsel or a command to follow. And the, odd, the even verses give you a motivation or incentive to follow the wise counsel. So you, you see in verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your, heart, um, let your heart keep my commandments. That's wise counsel that we're to follow. Verse 2, the link, In length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. That's the incentive or motivation to obey verse 1. See how that works? And the same is true when you get down to verse 3 and 4. They form a couplet, then 5 and 6, 7 and 8, and so on. And so you can understand this passage as you think through just these two-verse couplets that walk all the way through. But the focal point of this psalm are the most famous verses in really probably the whole book of Proverbs, which is verses 5 and 6. Any of you memorized these verses as a kid? Uh, Most of you know these. I I promise you, if you you go down to Hobby Lobby and you look, they've got something on the wall that's got really flowery text with really floral decor and pastel colors around it on the wall that they're going to sell to every grandma they can because these are verses we all love. And these are some of the most famous verses. Now, one of the dangers of that is familiarity sometimes kind of numbs us to the potency of the verses. We might go, oh yeah, I know those verses. Like I, can, I, don't, I don't need to lean in here. But I think it's important for us to think through what these verses are saying because I think they have something incredibly important to say to us. Uh, verses 5 and 6 have been called the North Star of our, face, uh, of, our, of our faith. And most of us don't know what a North Star is because we just have a phone. Uh, or we got a you know, system in our car that tells us where to go. Uh, some of us are older and remember when you had to actually look at paper maps, but I never even was old enough I needed to know where the North Star was. And so North Star it was really is a fixed point in the sky that, that people understood in, in, for, for centuries that if wherever you were in the world, you could identify that fixed point in, the, in space and, and you would know how to redirect your steps in the, right, in the right direction. That's what these verses are meant to do. That whatever circumstances you find yourself in, they are to help you redirect your, your course and move in the right direction. Uh, first, do you notice the motivation um, that, that he gives here in verse 5? That he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will make your path straight. Um, now, this isn't a common idea in our world, but it's not too hard to understand, right? I mean, we know what a path is. What do you do on a path? Talk to me. Walk. And you guys are genius. Uh, you, guys are, you guys are smart. Uh, he's saying that, that wisdom is a path that you walk. Now, that, that's interesting because wisdom isn't just 
this thing that magically happens to us. Wisdom isn't this thing that, uh, it isn't just a class we take. It's, it's actually a path that we have to walk over time. Um, how exciting is walking? Like, it's, it's not a complex practice, right? It's like you, one foot, and you do the next foot, and then you do the next foot. I could turn this into a dance if I wanted to, but I can't dance. So I'm going to leave that alone. But walking is just, it's, this, it's, it's not very sexy. It's just a very mundane, everyday sort of a thing. You put one foot in front of the other, and you keep going in a direction until you get to your destination. It's interesting that Proverbs says wisdom is a path that we have to learn how to walk. Which means it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of time. And you become, you become wise, one guy says, by the repetitious steps on a pathway of wisdom. Uh, now, when you think about this, it's, uh, you know, you take, or life, I mean, we said in this series that life is a, a giant decision tree that, that has multiple paths. And what Proverbs 3 is talking about is choosing the right path to walk. And Proverbs continually comes back and says there's a path to foolish, that leads to foolishness and there's a path of wisdom. And learning the wise way means we choose the right path over years and years and years. You develop an internal instinct that just knows uh, the difference between the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness. Now, here's the thing. Most of us would prefer to have a different answer than a path. Most of us want a technique. And Jeff, can you just tell me, like, how do I pray and find this thing? You know, is there certain, like, three prayers I can utter and I turn to a certain verse and it's going to tell me what to do? Or you want me to give you three principles. If I give you these five things and you do them, uh, these five techniques, you're going to have a wonderful life-giving marriage that always lasts. Um, you, you want, uh, many of us, sometimes we just want a magic pill. Like, is there something I can take for that? <laughs> you know, like, in, in our world, like, can we outsource that and have some scientist that comes up with something that just infuses wisdom into me? And there's just no shortcut to a path that you have to walk through the whole course of your life. And yet, if you see someone who's wise, you can almost look, always look back, and they can tell you about the path and the decisions and the things they did. And when they got off the path and God corrected them, they got put back on the path, and they began to walk. But it's through the everyday, mundane, repetitious activities of showing up one day after another after another and saying, I'm going to trust the Lord with the stuff of my life today that actually shapes us and forms in us the way of wisdom. And that's what Proverbs 3 is calling us to do. You notice he talks about, or what it says here is, is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Meaning you need to come to a place where you trust God with the most important area, things in your life. Um, all your heart means just a little bit of it. Just pick parts you want to do and just, no, it's all. Like trust the Lord with all of your heart means you have to lean in and begin to trust him. In all your ways, acknowledge him is a similar, uh, is a parallel statement that it makes. And it's interesting, we think of acknowledge him. In our, in our language, we, we hear that and we think, well, it's like a religious tip of the hat. Like, give God a little bit of this and we're good. It really is much deeper than that. It's actually a much more intimate term. What it means is it could be translated, in all your ways, experience his presence. His presence. And does that change the definitions you think about it? In, in all your decisions, experience God's presence in the midst of that decision-making process. Invite him in to the decisions as you're making about what it is you're called to do. Seek his wisdom and follow him. And it's, a, it's important to understand because our culture will tell you an entirely different message. Um, you notice the, in verse 5, the other phrase we have not yet looked at. 
Do not lean on your own understanding. Now, that goes in a different direction, doesn't it? Now, friends, we're living in this unique cultural moment. And I don't know if you realize it, but the world's changed in the last 50 years. But up till now, even for millennia, whether you, even, even if you weren't a believer, if, you're an, um, if you were a secular philosopher, there was this general idea of the way the world worked that said that our feelings and our desires are not always good, and they need to be curtailed by this great principle of wisdom, and somehow they need to be governed and redirected by wisdom so that, so that our desires and our feelings and our emotions are funneled in a healthy, in a healthy life pattern. And almost everyone universally operated in that way. But in the last 50 years, we've actually flipped everything so on its head to say that the path of wisdom is found in following your feelings and desires. The, the path of, uh, of truth is you do you. Follow your heart. Whatever, if it feels good, do it. Run in the way that, that seems best to you. And we flipped it all on, all, we've kind of inverted all of the way we understood wisdom. And the philosophy of our day tells you to find your own truth by trusting your own desires and emotions. Whereas up till the last 50 years, universally everyone would say, your own feelings and desires need to be curbed and redirected and refunneled by wisdom because they're not always going to be right. And it's interesting that we've turned that and inverted it completely. Now, it's a strange plan for living and trying to build a good life, I think. Uh, imagine if you had a GPS and you, you were you kind of tapping into the GPS, and you said, um, you know, I would like to go, and you gave him an address, and the GPS spoke back to you and said something like, hey, you're awesome, you've got this. Like, well, thank you, but I, I would like to know how to get to my, to my destination, and the GPS voice replies cheerfully, you go wherever you want, wherever you would like to go. And you're like, well, I appreciate the freedom to do that, I had that right already. Um, but you give it one more try. So look, I don't know the way. Can you tell me which road to take? And the voice says, all roads are great. You try whichever one you want. Um, well, that sounds pleasant, but it's not going to give me the destination I want to go. It's going to actually create all kinds of problems. And that's a plan, and it will take you somewhere, but maybe not where you ought to be. And so obviously it's overstated, but do you understand the problem that's here with this approach to life? Uh, this is why Proverbs says, do not lean on your own understanding. When he's saying your own understanding, he's saying you can't trust mere human reasoning and thinking about your life. You know, what happens when we do that is you will always be a slave to the culture around you unless you understand that you need to move over into a path of wisdom that's God-given that leads you out of the way you always want to do things. And so we're going to continue to push, or the Proverbs 3 is going to continue to push us in that direction. We need a wisdom from someone who actually knows the place to where we want to go. Now, years ago, before we had kids, we graduated from, uh, Nan and I graduated from grad school, and, and one decided we were going to take a big trip to celebrate. We went over to Italy. In Italy, we decided to rent a car and decided to drive, which was, which honestly was kind of fun. I kind of enjoyed the challenge of that. <laughs> it was a bit problematic because we couldn't speak the the language and couldn't read the signs. And uh, you guys know the saying that says, all roads lead to Rome? I promise you, I got to a roundabout, and you know the, where you do this, it's like Big Ben Parliament, all that stuff. So I'm in Italy, and I'm in a roundabout, and we're going around, and literally every road said, Rome, 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 Rome. And then I got a lap, and I looked at it, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I realized they could all get there, but surely one of them is a better road to take that's gonna get me there more quickly than all the others, like, right? 
And so we, we would just had some difficulties and someone had told us, they're like, it's great to drive in the country, but don't ever try driving in Rome or Florence or one of the big cities. It will be an utter nightmare and you will probably you know, regret it the rest of your life. And so we had uh, decided we were going to drop our car off when we got to the city and we we're going to take a train down to another city and continue our trip, but we weren't going to try to drive all the way in the big city and navigate all the chaos. Um, but we got to the edge of the city and we realized the drop-off place for the car was in the middle of the city. And so we had to get through. And so we're refilling with gas, and we have no idea how to get where we're going. We can't read the street names. We just know this is going to be crazy. I grabbed this guy next to me, and I'm, you know, we're, you know, I'm talking English, and I probably did the stupid thing you do, which is like I'm going to talk slower and louder. But you know, like I talk to the guy, and I'm trying to explain and trying to show him on the map, and finally he just looks at me, and he kind of has this like compassionate look in his face, and he goes, "I know way. Follow me." And we got back in the car, and he pulled out, and we followed him. And as we came, we saw his arm out the window going, like, <laughs> right there. And we saw the place, and we dropped the car off, and we got where we needed to go. Um, you know, the thing is, we needed someone who knew the way, someone who had navigated this path before, someone who knew where it is we were trying to go. Because in our own understanding, we were never going to get there. Or maybe we would, but it was going to be a whole lot more painful. And so we trusted someone who knew the way that we needed to go to lead us there. That's what Proverbs 3 is pointing to, and it's what it's calling us to do. It talks about trust and lean. It's interesting. These words are maybe a little more closely aligned than what we might think. Uh, Trust originally meant to lie face down in confidence before someone, meaning you're so comfortable before them you would lie down and trust that they would not do anything harmful to you. To lean is to support yourself, to put all your weight on something. And so when we lean or we trust the Lord, we're transferring the weight of our life to him. It means that you can rely on him out of a sense of security and confidence and comfort. Um, Friends, don't you need wisdom that says, and I can trust the Lord. I don't have to second guess his ways. I know that he wants my best for me and he's going to lead me in the right directions. Um, Friends, a good check on this. Let me just ask you about this. Do you ever let the Lord redirect your thinking? Or the thinking of our world? Do you ever let the Lord redirect your feelings and your emotions? Do you ever let the Lord redirect your preferences and your desires? If you don't, then you're you're probably trusting in your own way. And you're probably not leaning on the Lord. If you only obey God when his commands coincide with all your preferences and desires, you're probably following self more more than you're following God. Uh, Look with me at verse 7 and 8. It says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Uh, I love what what Proverbs does. And then you look at the the benefit on the other side. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Uh, All of the the things that you see, the positive promises of Proverbs, uh, it's important to say this. These, These are not promises the way you might take a theological promise from Romans or from Colossians. But Proverbs gives you these general promises that says, hey, in the general flow of life and navigating all the nuances of of a complex world, these are the things that are most likely going to lead you in the right direction. Uh, And so we don't don't take these as as these promises that if I do this, I'm going to get at this exact thing. But it's saying this is the road to thriving. This is the road to flourishing for for human beings, and this is the way that you ought to live. And so he he says in verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. 
but trust in the Lord. Fear and shun evil. So he connects these ideas again. Um, I want to just step aside for a second because we're going to see in a minute, ultimately all this has to do with our hearts. Where are our hearts focused? And and one of my favorite, I want to jump over to Jeremiah um, chapter 2 for just a second. Uh, Because there is an image there that's one of my favorite images for our day. And I don't know if there's a better image that I've found to describe the tension or or the the call that God's giving us. In in Jeremiah 2.12, he says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate. Now, what is is freaking, the, the Lord saying we should freak out when we see this? Be appalled, be shocked. And he's talking to the heavenly court, all those angels and everyone that's looking down on humanity. He goes, you want to see something that's utterly insane and crazy? What is, it, what is it that's so shocking that the Lord speaks this way to the angels? For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you see what's appalling to the Lord? He says, I want nothing but their best. And I've done everything to provide refreshing, life-giving, living water that freely comes to them. All they have to do is trust me for it. And yet, what have the people done? They go, ah, I think I can do something better. And they go over and hew out a cistern. And a cistern is a well they had to dig, and they dug them out of, a, out of limestone. And so they had to, I mean, you know, you ever have, I kind of like digging a hole in any dirt. You know, Oklahoma red clay, whatever it is. Like, I don't like having to dig a hole. I sure don't want to have to dig a well out of stone. And so they're digging a well out of limestone, and then they're having to, like, funnel rainwater into it to fill it up so they have something to drink. And the Lord's going like, hey, I'm a giant water fountain that never ends over here, and it's always fresh, and it's always good, and you're going to dig out a well that sometimes can turn brackish, sometimes it can get bad. And limestone wells in that, in that region were famous for developing leaks. And so not only that, you're going to do all the work to do this, wait for the rain, fill it up, hope it doesn't get contaminated, and then pretty soon it's going to develop a leak. And you know what you got to go do? you got to go dig another one. And then you got to dig another one. And then you have to dig another one. And so he's saying, look at my people. It's crazy because they're exhausted and they're thirsty and they're frustrated because of the way they've chosen. They've tried to do things their own way, and it's not satisfying. And he's over there going like, like, I'm right here. All you got to do is trust me, and I'll show you a better way. This is what, what Jeremiah 2 is ultimately pointing out. Uh, friends, if you look at, like I, I was reading some data this week, and it's so discouraging. Um, you know our youngest, like our, our, our youth, the, the rates of people that say, like, I am in panic and worried about the course of our world and, um, and living in constant anxiety, in the last 12 years, since we started flipping phones uh, at more than a 50% rate, has gone from like 20% to um, almost 50, to like 45. It's astounding. And you know what the problem is? Is that this isn't going to provide wisdom that God's going to provide. This isn't going to provide the nourishment and refreshment and flourishing that God's going to provide. And so whenever our eyes are fixated on our own way, and, and, and then you get on social media and it's like, let's all just pull all of our own ways and let's just throw them at each other as fast as we can. And you're like, oh, I'm going to try that and that and that and that. And we're just running on this path and it's increasing our stress and our anxiety. And what it is, it's a broken cistern way of living. And we're frustrated because we keep trying different things and it's not working. And we're digging holes and they keep leaking. And it's not going to satisfy us. 
And God says, if you trust me and turn my way, you'll find satisfaction. It's ultimately what this passage is about. It's interesting, Jesus takes the same, the same image of broken cisterns, and in John 4, you see the story of Jesus meeting a woman at the well. It says he goes to meet with a Samaritan woman, and he says, would you give me a, a, something to drink? And this woman's shocked, and she said, you being a Jew would ask me, a Samaritan, for water? And then John, thinking, like, unless we didn't pick up the subtext, puts it in parentheses and said, for Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And then a little bit later, you see his, his disciples come back because they'd gone to town to get food, and they come back and walk into Jesus and go, why is he talking to a woman? And what you see is Jesus had this way of life that contradicted his culture over and over and over. And so these assumptions and these fears and the ways that they operated of, and if I'm a Jew and I connect with a Samaritan who's sort of a religious half-breed, maybe I'll be contaminated, or maybe if I actually cared for this woman who had a need, I'm, you know, I, something might, I, I might stumble into sin, or there's all these things that could end. And Jesus just said, be wise in the midst of this. It's not what, uh, what goes into a man that makes a meal. It's what comes out of him. It's a heart issue that's ultimately there. And so Jesus, caring for this woman, uh, she, he says, give me something to drink. And so she has this question. Eventually, the conversation moves around, and Jesus turns to her, and he says, if you understood who I am, meaning I am the Lord, if you understood that I am Yahweh, if you understood that I am the God of I am, I'm, I'm the God of the Old Testament in flesh, that I'm the visible representation of God. If you understood who I am, you would ask me for living water. What Jesus is saying in that is, if you understood who I am, you would ask me for the Jeremiah 2. You would ask me for the life-giving, nourishing, always ever-present water that is, that is something greater than the physical water you're looking for. Now, here's what's fascinating to me about this text. Pretty soon, uh, you know what Jesus does right after that? Anyone remember? Jesus turns and he looks at, her, he looks at this woman and he says, Go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He says, that's right. You've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband either. What's Jesus, what's Jesus doing? Is he just being mean? I mean, I, that seems like a pretty harsh thing to say, right? To a stranger you've never met, go get your husband. You're right. You've been married five. You don't have one. And the one you're with now, he's not your husband either. Seems like a harsh statement. What's Jesus doing? He's helping her see you're living a broken cistern life. And that dude you keep chasing, he's never going to fill you up. He's never going to meet your need. And that's why you've gone through one guy after another guy after another guy after another guy is because no man can meet the need that only God was created to meet, or only God can meet in your life. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get this woman to see. And here's what's amazing about this. The woman doesn't freak out. She actually has her whole life changed, and it's radically altered. And she goes back, and she runs into town, and she goes, hey, Come and meet the man that told me everything about my life. Now, if you know anything about highly religious cultures in small towns, like, does everyone in that town already know what her life looks like? They already know, but because of shame, we never talk about those things, right? So this woman who probably had been in shame, in fact, it's more than likely that she had gone all the way to this well at noontime at the hottest part of the day because she was ashamed and shunned by the other women who would have gone in the morning or gone in the evening. And so she's there at the worst part of time, alone at the well, because she was a woman who lived in shame from everything she experienced. And then now she's going into town and she's saying, hey, come meet a dude who told me about all the bad stuff I ever did. But there's no shame. Why? Because Jesus had met a spiritual need that she had. And you know what's even, what's astounding? John is such a great writer. I love this in that text. There's this little place in there where he goes, 
and she left her water jar behind. So when she went back to town, she forgot to take her water. And so she'd come to the well to do what? She had one purpose. I need a physical, I need to meet my physical need of water. But when she met Jesus, the fountain of living waters, she forgot all about her physical need, and she ran home to tell everyone about the spiritual thing. Jesus ended up staying there, and it made a radical impact on the city because of her testimony. Friends, in the broken cistern way, it doesn't work. But there's a better way, which is why when you go back to Proverbs 3, you see that it says it will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And friends, I'll just tell you, that, that was my experience as well. Now, there's a period in my life where having grown up in church and been a believer and began to seek the Lord, I began to, to, to sort of live with a foot in two worlds, which, uh, you know, the, you know the, who the, the most frustrated person in the world is? It's usually a Christian who's living a non, an unchristian sort of life. Because you've got the Spirit in you and you know what joy and you've tasted of His goodness, but you're trying to run away from it, and it creates this vacuum in here and you know something's wrong. Uh, and so I had sort of had a world, uh, like one foot on a dock and one foot on a canoe, uh, which looks cool for a little while, but then starts to get really uncomfortable, right? As you start to get spread out, and you eventually have to pick which way am I going to go. And, I, uh, you know, there were, there were things in, in me that was running after affirmation of other people. I began to enter into an unhealthy relationship with an older gal. I began to run after just different things that, that, that I, was, I was running away from the Lord. And I was running after these other things to find significance and affirmation and, and encouragement in those things. And I got to a point where there was a day where I just remember kind of laying in bed and going, I'm not happy. And I know where real joy is found. And I turned and I moved that direction. And you know what happened for me? It began to change who I was. And it literally, as it says, will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There was this encouragement that began to come in my heart, and I began to breathe a little easier, and I began to walk a little freer, and I began to live a little more closely with the Lord, and I began to move back onto the path of wisdom. And I'm just going to tell you this, you're going to go through one of those someday too. Students, teens, singles, you're going to have a season where you will be tempted to walk away from the Lord and, and you'll begin to experiment, you'll begin to try things, you'll begin to run in a different direction. And that path is not going to lead you to the flourishing that you want. It's not going to lead you to the destination you want. And you're going to have to redirect, which is why you go down to verses 11 and 12. And he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father and the son whom he delights. See, when, when God disciplines you, when God redirects your steps, when you go off, when, when you begin to go down the path of foolishness and you trip and fall and, ha- and get redirected, like that's not a safe way for me to go, I need to go a different way. That's a loving action of, of your Heavenly Father that's trying to redirect your steps and put you back on the right path. And friends, we all need it. Um, i just tell you from wisdom, uh, I get to counsel a whole lot of people. I get to talk to a whole lot of, a whole lot of people in marriages. I get to talk to a whole lot of people in with career decisions, I get to walk through people with uh, addictions and difficulties and, and relational conflicts. And it, over and over and over, the pattern is the same. We began to do this. We got stuck in a, in a path that we didn't know how to get out of. 
and we needed the Lord to redirect our steps and send us back to a path of wisdom and flourishing. And so he continues to come back and redirect us, and it's not always fun. Uh, sometimes it takes some, some, uh, a little bit of pain in the discipline to redirect and reshape our paths. Let me finish with this. Let's go to back to verse 3, um, because I think this is, this is key for us to understand why we do this. At, at the end of the passage, when he says, the Lord redirects our disciplines, you notice whom the Lord redirects? The ones that he loves. That his discipline, his redirecting his path, everything that the Lord does is ultimately for our good. And it's, it's to help us find a path of flourishing. You get down to verse three, in, uh, three or 1 through 4, and three times you see this reference to the heart. Verse 2, or verse 1, he says, Let your heart keep my commandments. Meaning, this isn't just external rules meaninglessly applied for you to have to follow, but write these on your heart, he says. Verse 3, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You notice the, there's a phrase there. What is it that we're supposed to write upon our hearts? Steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you know where that phrase, that phrase comes from? The writer of Proverbs 3 assumes that you know where that comes from. And a lot of us don't um, because we didn't grow up in that day and we weren't steeped in the, old, in, in, in the Hebrew scriptures. And so uh, he, under, he, he knows that most of his readers would understand where that phrase comes from. It actually comes from Exodus 34. Exodus 34, 6, when Moses received the, the Ten Commandments from the Lord, and he went up on the mountain, and God said, this is holy ground. Don't let anyone come up with you, but you interrupt silently. Don't even let anyone look up here, because it's holy ground, and I'm going to come down and pour upon the, the mountain as fire. And he reveals himself, and the Lord announces his name. And it says in 34, 6, uh, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, which is Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is from the name of God. He says, when, when I want to make myself known to you, I reveal myself to you. When I, when I tell you the most important things about me, he leads with grace and compassion, and he goes to steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is um, what Proverbs 3 refers back to. Now, with that in mind, knowing that this is, this is God it's referring to, right? Now read verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Let not God's love, God's faithfulness, his loyal love for you, let it not forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Meaning, put them as a protection piece over your chest and then write them internally in the most private, personal part of who you are. Take the steadfast love of God and make it the thing that you cloak yourself with and make it the thing that you soak your insides with. Because this is the most important thing for you to understand about life. And so he's saying that we're to, we're to walk in the midst of, of God's love. And friends, here's what I realize. You, we, will never, um, we will never continue to trust the Lord and to walk in his ways if you don't believe he loves you. That, that's, where, that's why I want to end with verse 3. That ultimately that's the thing that has to drive us. That if you're convinced that the Lord loves you, then you will trust not in your own, and you, will, you will not, not lean on your own understanding, but you will ultimately trust in his ways. And you will not, uh, you will acknowledge him, and he will make, you will walk in his straight paths. 
that that will be the thing that governs you. It also means that you'll trust his discipline because the Lord disciplines him who he loves. But it's got to start with a relationship. And so friends, day in, day out, let me end with this. What does it look like to enter into a path of a life of wisdom? It means you wake up tomorrow and you look to God first. And you trust him. You take a step forward and you trust him with that day. And then you take another one and you take another one. And because you have a relationship with him, because you, you know that he loves you, you continue to walk in him and trust him. And when you get off, and when you're tempted, and when life begins to pull you in a different direction, you allow him to redirect your steps and you move in that direction. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would make us people of wisdom. Father, in all the days when our hearts send us away from the path of, um, of, of the Lord, Father, would you redirect our steps? Father, I, just, I ask that as we, as in those times when we wander, Father, would our wanderings be, be shorter rather than longer? Would you redirect more quickly rather than letting us get too far down the road? Father, would you continue to call us to the path of wisdom and shape in our hearts a life of wisdom that's grounded in a relationship of love, that we would trust your grace and your mercy, and that you are one of steadfast love and faithfulness to us that we can trust with every area of our life and in that trust that you cause us to walk in your ways that we might flourish as you intend for us to we pray it in Jesus name by your spirit Amen Amen